Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Tell you what, that Tiger Woods is a dog's bollocks, isn't he? <laughs> Mixed race, you see. Part Afro-American, part white man, part Dutch and part Vietnamese. And then four different races have combined to produce the perfect golfer. And still so young. The Afro-American, right, that's his natural grace for his driving, right? The Vietnamese, for when he's in the rough, you got me? <laughs> All the jungles and that, they have a network of tunnels. The Dutch in him makes him laid back for his temperament. And the white man means he can get on the course in the first place. <laughs> For one night only, Simon Day and Friends, the brilliant character comic from The Fast Show, Brian Pern, and currently down the line on Radio 4. Saturday, June the 13th. Tickets only £5 and watch from the comfort of your living room. For tickets, go to biletto.co.uk and search Simon Day and Friends now. Welcome to another very, very special edition of the Spurs show. Uh, this one's entitled We're the Barmy Tottenham Army, the second division special. Um, our last live show, uh, Spurs show season ticket holders will know, we had a wonderful night, end of February with this man. Who would have known at the time that was the last live show we could do? We had a wonderful show. I, I urge you to go back and listen to the entire show because we, we talked about many other things. Uh, we didn't go into detail about the second division, hence what we were doing it. We had a great bit of food afterwards, and it's wonderful, even though via, via the phone, it's great to have him back. Please welcome John Pratt. How are you, John? Yeah, fine. Thank you, Mike. And you know, I hope everyone's keeping well and safe. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I, this this season, I, I've always had a, a fascination with because I was about 10 uh, when we were in the second division. I, I went to all the home games. I was too young to go to the away games. And I put a thing out there on social media to the Spurs Show Facebook group. Uh, the Tottenham boys were here. Their Facebook group for their memories and we had so many photos and memories and so many fans of a certain age said as a supporter it was my favourite season uh, for, for reasons we'll get on to now um, for, for, for the younger fan just to give it a bit of context it was the first time since 1949-50 that Tottenham had been in the second division we'd flirted with relegation famously in the 74 75 season where last uh last game of the season win at home to Leeds kept us up but then the following season we, there was a bit of reprieve we finished ninth um and we we're looking better however the following season 76 to 77 we finished bottom uh, on goal difference, effectively three points adrift of Bristol City and Coventry, who just survived. And it was the 5 0 defeat at Main Road, Manchester City, that sealed our fate that season, along with 21 defeats. John, going back to just the end of that season, what was said amongst the players and the coaching staff at the end of the season? Was there real belief you could bounce back? Were some players a bit like, I'm off? What was the kind of feeling? No, I mean, Right at, the, right at the start of the, uh, the season, you know, um, towards the back end when we knew we were virtually relegated anyway, uh, Keith had said, look, we're going to set our stall out, we're going to practice free kicks, we're going to practice corner kicks. You know, this is the personnel because I don't think, you know, he was, he was going to be able to get too many people in at that moment in time. Um, uh, so we were, we were sort of two or three games already into preparing Wow. For the following season, before the you know before the end of, the end of that season, in particular, so we were already primed and ready to go, um, mm. and I think it was sort of Keith's organisation, Stevie P being the captain. Um, you know, I think we became sort of a strong unit because there was a, a lot of people that had something to prove. Myself was that exactly what you said. It was you know sort of forty nine fifty uh, back in them days. Tottenham had never been out of the first division and to have that on my record um, you know I've, it hurt me a lot to be fair um, so well, obviously me, me personally um, the gratification was that I did play in every game and you know well by hook or crook we did uh, actually get promotion. What I loved about it the, the last game of the previous season is that we played uh, Leicester City at home in one two nil, and rather than anger, anger from the fans, which you probably get in this era, it, uh, the sort of plastic fans a bit, a bit more, the fans rush on pitch. Uh, there was a famous "We Return" banner, and the Spurs fans cheered the players so much you had to come back out even after going down and sort of acknowledge the fans. Feeling even then of togetherness, we're in this together. Would you would you agree with that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, whether people, you know, the fans liked you or not, you know, uh, Tottenham fans, they, they like what they see and you have to produce what they like. Uh, consequently, we've hit the post on numerous occasions in being successful in things because Tottenham teams do have to play a certain way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and to play that way all the time and be successful, you know, Alan Mulley has a great saying, is, is sometimes you have to win ugly. Mm. And, um, you know, Tottenham teams and 
and never been able to win ugly. Um, and I think on the road at times during that, the, the following season, you know, that we did get promotion, there were times then when we did win ugly. Yeah, Which, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned there about not many players coming in. The season that we went down was the debut season for Jerry Armstrong, Ian Moores, Peter Taylor, John Gorman and Jimmy Holmes. So they'd had now a season to bed in. You're right. The only player that came in uh, in that second division season was Colin Lee, that obviously we'll talk about in a minute. However, the one player that did leave that was a huge, huge story and kind of still is amongst Spurs fans was Pat Jennings leaving. How did the players take that at the time? Well, you know, um, you know with, with the greatest respect with, to Barry Danes, who was an England youth international, etc., uh, an extremely good goalkeeper, he wasn't Pat Jennings. And um, I think we would have come up as champions had Pat been in goal for us that following year. I think there was a, a you know, obviously, Terry Neal, bless him, um, he was great for me because um, he released the shackles of, you know, having to, sort of, if you like, be a defensive midfield player yeah. and he said, go and score me some goals. Um, but he did get rid of Martin Peters, you know, yeah. um, Chivers, Philip Bill, Joe Kinnear. You can't get rid of all those players and expect, you know, to achieve or be a fighting cause again you know it's going to take a couple of seasons to replenish those you know the standard of that and um you know there i say with with no disrespect uh you know that they were very really really quality players and you know martin peters went and played for norwich you know and in foresight he could have been moved back as he did in norwich and played double center half Mm. with all the young players that we had keith osgood etc You yeah, know, that's a very, very good point. You can't wipe out all that experience in one fell swoop. And uh, I think it was primarily because, you know, Terry was there can, you know, in the same sort of era as them and uh, his contemporaries. And I think he felt a little bit intimidated by him. Mm. What did you know about the league and the teams you about to face. Obviously, a few had also been in the first division while you've been playing, but there was a lot of teams and places you wouldn't have a clue about, would you? No, to be fair, we didn't, but, uh, you know, yeah, it was all the, this year. I know it's a cliche you hear lots of times uh, with people saying, managers saying, well, it's about, it's about us, it's not about them. Um, where, I mean, prior to that, with Eddie Bailey would go away and when we were playing in Europe I mean the fella that I had to mark I knew what he was having for breakfast what time he went to the bathroom every day you know we were very sort of structured in that sense but I think this particular season was one where as I said that Keith said like it's all going to be about us Mm. you know this is the quality this is the way we want to play and if everyone you know comes up with the, the goods then we'll achieve it. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, from a fan's point of view, uh, the fans really travelled en masse this season to away games. In some games, taking over three sides of a ground when the uh, when, when matches weren't all ticket matches. There was obviously more tickets available, uh, cheaper tickets. And Spurs fans, this was probably the first season I remember, seemed to be more organised. I mean, there was always the support of club coaches, but then beforehand, there were factions of Spurs fans. There was the Spurs fans for the local area. There was Somers Town Spurs, Richmond Spurs, 
Paddington Spurs. But this was the first season with other people taking coaches like Keithy Robbins. All these people started traveling together. And as you mentioned, Spurs were kind of the team to see that, see in the division that season. And all the smaller clubs were obviously desperate to uh, to beat us. This is also a time when you could walk around the grounds. Um, even at White Hart Lane, you could walk from one end to another uh, around this era. And again, you know, so what was happening was Bristol Rovers would come to le- uh, later. Thousands of Spurs fans tried to get into the Bristol Rovers home end, putting on fake accents and saying they're all from Shepton Mallet uh, just to get in. I mean, it was extraordinary what was going on. And as yeah. you mentioned, as you mentioned tactically, uh, with the team. This is when Steve Perriman kind of went back to centre-back um, and had Keith Osgood, you mentioned, or Don McAllister alongside him, Jimmy Holmes, Terry Naylor, full-backs, <coughs> yourself, yourself, Glenn, Neil McNabb, Peter Taylor out wide, and up top, either Jones and Lee, Moores or Armstrong. Tactically, Stevie P then was kind of bringing the ball out of defence more. Although he's played in centre-back, he was bringing the ball out of defence, therefore hopefully drawing uh, one of the opposition strikers in. Did that give you a bit more space in midfield, this new tactic? Um, it, well, it wasn't a new tactic, because that's always been a, a principle of play that's applied all, all my time at Tottenham. You know, when you, as soon as you get the ball, whether you're a right-back or a left-back or a centre-half, you're the first attacker. Right. And you're always, we were always taught to attack the first defender, meaning if I'm a centre-half, I'll run at the centre or drag the centre forward mm. into a position and then pass the ball forward. You know, yeah. there was never any backward passes. For every sideways and backward pass, there had to be a forward pass. There had to be movement up front where one centre-forward would come short and if it wasn't on, then someone would clip it into the hole for the other one doing a bended run into that space that the first one had come away from mm. and then it, the first one would spin and join. But with the, the, the as I say, with the fans situation I think we averaged those last four or five games in you know when we were in the first division I think we averaged like 45, 50,000 people you know, and, and they we were already relegated so to, it didn't surprise me the following year when you know, we were obviously one of everyone wanted to play us, as you so rightly said. And um, you know, we had more probably we had more supporters at Bristol Rovers than Bristol Rovers had. Yeah. But I think yeah. that was primarily it. That um, we you know, we've always had a fantastic uh, support, and you know, I can't. Well, even when we were doing crap, really crap, uh, in that you know those couple of seasons, in different seasons we had. Um, you know, there, there was still, I think, the smallest crowd was 30, 35,000 people, which, you know, most teams would give their right arm for. Mm, you know, absolutely. so... Um, yeah. Well, look, let's, let's go into detail about some of the games that season after this very short break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. 
Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. I'm Jeff, and on my 40th birthday, I decided to give up drinking for a year. And I'm Matt, Jeff's drinking friend, and I'm not happy about it. Can I do a year sober? More to the point, will you be really dull? Will I still get invited out? And do you have to drink to be my friend? What am I going to drink instead? Welcome to Wet and Dry, a new podcast about sobriety, midlife crisis, male drinking culture, pubs and friendship. Okay, welcome back for the break. Um, going into the games that season, we had a really, really good start. First eight games unbeaten. The opening day, I remember it, it was in the sunshine at the lane. 4-2 win against Sheffield United with Keith Osgood scoring two penalties in the sunshine. Duncan and Jones. Uh, Keith was a, a brilliant for, uh, penalty taker, wasn't he, if you remember? He was a lovely striker at the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a very good athlete. Um Young, obviously young and raw, but he he, did, he was a lovely striker at the ball. You know, yeah. sort of Paul, Paul Miller was a similar type mm. of player. I think um, Keith was a a bit more athletical than uh, than Maxi mm. was, to be fair. But um, they both had this lovely striker at the ball. Mm. You know, so if you got you got in the way with it as a goalkeeper, you'd probably hurt yourself anyway because he could yeah. strike the ball lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a shock to me, to be fair, when uh, he was nominated to take them. But he'd obviously taken them in the youth team, in the reserves, mm. you know. And um, Keith obviously had, uh, had faith in him to, uh, you know, to take these things. And when you consider we had, you know, Glenn, we had Peter Taylor, you know, mm. we had enough options uh, for people to take penalties. Yeah, we then went uh, away, our first away game uh, that season was a, a midweek game. I think it was a goalless draw at Blackburn. It was nil-nil. Then we came back uh, home when against Notts County with John Duncan scoring twice. John ended up getting 16 goals that season. Obviously, so, so important. He was he was a wonderful striker. Trying to explain what was he like to maybe people who didn't see him play. Well, the one thing, John, you know, which you learn all the time, it doesn't matter what age you are, you're learning about football and how people do things all the time. And the interesting thing for me was John used to get the ball in the penalty area from corner kicks, free kicks, and be on his own. Mm. And I said to him, well, how do, how do you create that space? He said, John, all I do is I stand still. <laughs> Because yeah. you know, defenders got to move first. Mm. You know, so he's you know he's standard the reason. But John had this fantastic knack, which all great goal scorers have, is that he could be falling over backwards and it hit him on the back of the backside and go in, mm. or he hit him on the back of the head. But he had an awareness of where he needed to be. Um, you know, rightly so. But uh, we did used to laugh quite a bit. But I, I learned something which I passed on to youth team players when I was youth team manager about it's not always about running into space. Sometimes it's staying, standing still and letting defender worry about the space. Mm. Yeah. And I think... Uh, I, sorry? I think, you know, I think Gary... I think I, I, he always reminded me of sort of Gary 
Gary Lineker in the box. He, he seems like a real poacher, as you sort of said, always seems to be there, always seems to put the ball away. I think they were quite similar in a style. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, John didn't have uh, Gary's pace in retrospect of the ability to get away from people with pace. Uh, but then again, I don't think Gary was as good in the air as John Duncan was. John Duncan was quite, you know, quite adequate in the air, very adequate in the air, and scored a number of goals. So the similarity between the two is they, get, they got the job done. They mm. got the ball in the back of the net. Which is yeah. a fantastic, it's a fantastic ability to have. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, we then went uh, another, our second away game of the season. Another goal was drawn at Cardiff, and then we came back to the lane. A uh, very important one 0 win at home to Fulham, and here is the goal now. Naylor, Taylor. That's a good cross. Duncan's on the far side with the header for Chris Jones. They've broken that Fulham deadlock, and Peter Taylor sitting down by the corner flag. Well, there's the man who made it, Peter Taylor, bursting on the scene again. He got that over by the line, by the byline. A lovely long cross. John Duncan up well, unselfish as ever. Down for Chris Jones, and hooked it in from close range to Jones. Spurs one, Fulham nil. Uh, that goal was put away uh, by Chris Jones. Jones was again a kind of a bit of a maligned player by the fans, but again he scored so many important goals, didn't he? Yeah, Chris was a terrific older up at the ball. He could, you, yeah. know, you could knock the ball in, and you knew it would be there. Um, and he, another one, which being strikers, uh, deceptively good in the air. Um, and his layoff play was good. His join-up play is what you would do, you know, what you would want. I suppose one would say that, you know, perhaps he was too left-footed, if he could be too left-footed. You know, but if that left foot's good enough, you know, and you don't have to use the right, and that's what Ozzy Ardiles used to say to me about Maradona. He used to say that Maradona's right foot is as good as anybody's, but he doesn't have to use it. And I would yeah. put, say, Chrissy in, and the numerous people in that situation I mean we had this people used to say to us why did Peter Taylor play on the right it was a mm. simple fact that Peter Taylor had a fantastic right foot so the quandary for the defender was do I show him inside and he has a shot goal because he could you know that, he had a wonderful left foot or do I show him down the line where he's a terrific crosser with his right foot similar to Chris Waddle Chris Waddle mm. was quite maligned about being one footed but he had a, yeah. he had a good, had really adequate right foot um, so he could pick forwards out you know for any goals and so it's a dilemma which, you, which way do you show it you know and um, fortunately that season not too many people found, found Peter, Peter out I mean uh, you know he, he had an exceptionally great season he did he was another one I think it was virtually other present like yourself we then had our first away win of the season uh, a wonderful evocative game away to Blackpool thousands of Spurs fans had a weekend at Blackpool Beach um, um, I know people like Norman Jay were off to Northern Soul all nighters afterwards it was a, a wonderful wonderful atmosphere with our first win we then came back to the lane uh, an easy solid 2-0 win against Luton and then we played a, a local team first time we played off 
Orient in a league game since 1928 uh, away from home. You mentioned the, the amount of Spurs fans travelling. Three sides of the ground was Spurs. There was officially 24,000 Spurs fans there. Orient were normally getting crowds of seven, 8,000 to give you an idea of how many Spurs fans were showing up. Uh, John Chadozi, who obviously ended up playing at Spurs, a very young boy playing here at Orient. They, they had a very good uh, uh, season. They reached the semi-final of the FA Cup this season. Uh, it was a draw one all. Martin Robinson uh, started his first game for Tottenham. Let's yeah, listen to a clip of the goal. Our, our goal. Yeah, let's listen to a clip now. Armstrong to McNair. That's an interesting ball and uh, Naylor knew that that was about to come his way. Now, what about the cross? It's a good one and it's a goal! straight in well Taylor and Naylor between them have put Spurs into the lead well it was a lovely run there by Naylor and as that cross came in there was Peter Taylor and that Spurs leading by a goal there you are, Martin Robinson. He, he only had a few games this season. He never, I think, I think he ended up at Charlton, didn't he? He never made the he grade, did. really, at Spurs, did he? Um, but you know, when people say he didn't make the grade, Mike, it's it, mm. you know, football's a game of opinions. Mm. You know, and if someone at that moment in time thinks that someone else is slightly better than you, then you know, you become surplus to requirements. Um, it was an extreme, another one, extremely quick, nice touch. Um, was probably as an out-and-out, i.e. artiscope centre-forward, wasn't quite tall enough. But he had lovely movement and he was very, very quick. But as I say, you know, if the manager at that moment in time thought there were better players than him, then, you know, obviously you let him go to, you know, get get somewhere else. And he went to Charlton and I think he had a successful career mm. at Charlton. But, um, you know, another homegrown player came through the, come through the ranks and... Uh, yeah, so be it. Mm. We then got our first defeat of the season, uh, October the 4th, away to Hull City, who were eventually relegated. We lost 2-0. Uh, I think Duncan and Jones were both injured, and Billy Bremner was then the Hull manager. And tactically, he he stopped uh, Perriman, particularly bringing the ball out. And it's kind of the first team in that division to try and do a job on us tactically. Do you remember that game at all? Um, well... Apart from the fact that we, uh, you know, we we got beat up there, <laughs> it's one yeah. that when you get beat, it's quite easy to forget these games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and obviously, it wasn't my fault. Um, yeah. The <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to be enough. fair, apart from going to Hull, which the pitch was quite, it was quite a nice little grand Hull's grand, because prior to that, um, we'd actually played Leeds there. A couple right. of seasons before, I think, when um, for some reason Leeds Grand couldn't be, they couldn't play at Ellen Road, oh. and we played them at Hull. Okay. Yeah, well, another bit of useless know. information, I yeah. believe. But, <laughs> but no, yeah, it said, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was obviously another place to go, and it's all, you know, fortunately enough for us, we learnt, we learnt very quickly. Uh, we're going to these sort of places that. Um, We'd never been to before, and uh, yes, you know, supposedly should go and win. You know, it's uh, and I suppose it's a bit like 
us now with the new ground and when we played at Wembley. Mm. You know, teams are looking forward to playing Tottenham because that the situation is when are they ever going to play against Tottenham Hotspur again? When are they going to play at Wembley against Tottenham? When are they going to play at Tottenham's new stadium? You know, all these things have got to be, you know, I know in my mind would be, I mean, you used to get a tingle when you went to Anfield and there was a tingle when you went to um, Manchester United, you know, um, as opposed to going to Ellen Road or, you know, Leicester City. You know, yeah. it's, um, you know, I think it's just the nature of the game and the reputation and the quality of the, the teams at that moment in time, that, that gives you the G. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, we then we then went back home, a thumping 5-0 win at home to Oldham. And then another away defeat, and this was a really bizarre one, uh, 4-1 at Charlton. Again, there was about 45,000 fans there. It was crazy. Loads and loads of Spurs. Officially, it was 30,000, but it was much, much more. There was a bit of trouble. Millwall fans, uh, there was a documentary that season on Panorama, all about more, uh, the Millwall nutters. And, and even in the documentary, they were talking about, wait till we get Spurs, wait till we get Spurs. They were playing away that day. So some of their hooling element tried to start trouble at the ground. It wasn't it wasn't that much. But just Ian Moore's missed some good chances in that game. And ex-Spurs uh, junior, Mickey Flanagan, got a hat-trick. That was a strange game, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Mickey Flanagan, uh, Derek Owls were the two main components at, uh, uh, at Charlton in those days. And... Um... To be fair, you know, Mickey was a good player, um, but he had people like Jimmy Neighbour, Jimmy Pierce, uh, etc. Referring back to the Robinson mm. situation, yeah. Um, yeah um, well, do we say one of those days where they're playing at home and they had that great big uh, cop on yeah. one side opposite the thing, you know, as you say probably 35,000 supposed to be the legal limit, but as you say, 45,000, because that was absolutely packed and it was rammed to the rafters. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it, you know, one of those games once again, and uh, it's never over till it's over, and one we probably would have thought we should have won, and particularly that season, there were no games we didn't think we should have lost. So, you know, yeah. so... Um, no, 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 not complacency or anything and it, we, obviously you respect the people you're playing against but sometimes on any given day you know inspiration stimulation of playing you know playing against not necessarily the players but playing against Tottenham Hotspur you know took them to another level yeah, I mean, we then, um, as I mentioned before, Duncan and Jones had a few nickels. Colin Lee then signed, uh, and uh, although he was also injured with an Achilles problem, he came straight into the that game, uh, his first game, the week he, he, he signed. We kind of needed to bounce back uh, after the previous defeat, but no one foresaw still one of the most extraordinary debuts by a Tottenham player, and still our biggest league win in our history. Let's listen to that wonderful game now. This is Staniforth looking for Gould. Perryman in the way. Again, good approach play by Tottenham. Here's Hoddle. Lee Clark. 
shaking off Gould. Four Tottenham players ahead of him. Five now that Hoddle's made a run down the right. This is how the second goal came, really. McAllister. Oh, lovely dummy by Peter Taylor. He's got four in the middle as well. Taylor leaving it. Moores is through. Has to be said without taking anything at all away from Tottenham that Bristol Rovers looked a very poor side, especially in defence. And as Moore's on again here for the hat trick. trying to get there it's going to come to Taylor now it's come to Lee eight Morris he looked outside perhaps but the referee's given the goal John, I mean, that was a bizarre game. I mean, to to beat any... I know there were Bristol Rovers, but to beat any team 9-0, I think every chance we had kind of went in that day, didn't it? Well, there was a lot of quality, lot of quality goals. And, uh, I mean, Colin Lee, obviously, is a right-back. He, he played very well at centre-forward. Because um, <laughs> he played... The, the, Brist, the Bristol, he played, he played at right-back or left-back. Mm. Um there's another one who was extremely aggressive, extremely good in the air, um, and yeah, it was, that particular day was a fantastic day because you know most things came off for us. You know, even to the fact that the, the easiest goal I should have scored ever um, went. I was it was harder to miss than it was scored, but I, I actually missed it completely, and it went mm. to Peter Taylor behind me. And yes. people said, Pratty, you missed that goal. I went, no, I heard over. That's why I let it go through my legs. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, my nose was growing at the moment, every minute I was saying that. But, um, no, it was, it was one of those things that, once again, preparation and, uh, and familiarity about doing things. I know mm-hmm. Colin came in, you know, but it was easy. When everyone else knows what they're doing, it's quite easy to come into a team um, and make your debut when... One, you're expected to beat Bristol Rovers. Um, and two, we go off to the start and everything, the quality of Peter Taylor crossing the ball, um, you know, everything, you know, Glenn and, and Neil McNabb, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, it was, it was all good. Yeah, all good that day. And uh, a, a lovely, you know, a lovely way to, um, the fun end of the story was uh, when I went to America, mm. the centre-half, Graham Day, he was mm. the centre-half that day. Oh, really? Yeah, and when I'm being introduced to the players, a lot of them I knew, and um, it's, uh, uh, this John, John Pratt, uh, uh, I went, what's that about? He went, 
and he had a, I can't do accents, but that, that you know, West Country accent. Yeah. He said, you know something, he said, I hated you. I went, <laughs> but you don't know me. He said, well, when you got nine, he said, you picked the ball out of the back of the net and said, let's get ten. I said, what's wrong with that? You know, that's respect. Yeah. And that's why I was always taught that sign of respect is about keep putting the ball in the back of the net. It ain't about doing little flicks and fannies, you know, and taking the mick that way. You know, if you want to take the mick, keep and show how much better than the other team you are. Keep putting the ball in the back of that. And that's always something I've tried to instill in uh, anybody and everybody that I've uh, been associated with football. Yeah, I mean, the other player that day, again, it's sort of not talked about because of Colony's four, was Ian Moore's got three. What what was he like? I know he sort of tragically died very, very young. But what was he like as a player? He was, as, from a fan's perspective, he was a he came across as a bit of a gentle giant. Would, would that be fair? Uh, well, he could, no, he could be aggressive, as it happens, yeah. Oh, no, you right. wouldn't want to upset more, as he? No, to be fair. Mm. I mean, he'd had a couple of good games. We'd played Stoke, uh, mm. and he'd had a couple of good games against us. And I think, you know, that had the colour good, good games, uh, and he, I think he was playing with Crooksy at the time. Yes, you know, that's who, right. Who Archibald played very well with, and I think Garth is one of those people that whoever played with him played quite well. So it showed yeah. uh, you know what a good player Garth was. Um, but you know, Ian was yeah, he was he was big. I mean, I think he was six two. Yeah, good in the air. Another left footer. We seem to have a breeder left with Jonesy, etc. Uh, left footers. Um, you know, I, yeah. I mean, he, that that particular season, he he did the job for us, and uh, you know, he, he was a you know good ac- you know, acquisition at the time. Yeah, we've got three more really important wins. Three uh, one at Stoke, where I think you got your first goal uh, of that season and two from Jerry Armstrong. Do you remember that first goal you got that season against Stoke? To be fair, I can't remember no. as right. Fair enough. It's right. um, It was a long time ago. Then we had beat uh, Burnley 3-0 at home and then a big important win at Crystal Palace 2-1. And then we faced probably up to that stage our toughest game of the season. Um, the team that were there with us, and we had a few battles with them that season. Uh, we lost 1-0 to Bolton, 86th minute uh, Roy Greaves. I remember we had a great goal for Neil McNabb, chalked off offside. They said that John Duncan had strayed offside. They were big, big battles against Bolton, weren't they? Well, Bolton at that time had, you know, they had Peter Reid, uh, yeah. uh, Sam Allardyce, yeah. uh, uh, James, James, who used to play alongside Allardyce. They, yeah, Whitmore, they had, they, they had, they, I mean, they were, to be fair, they were up there with us. I mean, I think we were, you know, we should have won the league, but, um, you know, but they would want, they won it, and good luck to them. But um, they did have a lot of quality players, and um, yeah, it, you knew it was going to be a battle. And uh, I know the goalkeeper; I'm still trying to get his studs out in the back of my in my back. So you know, they they were hard. They they, yes. they they knew what they were doing. They could put it about, and they had some extremely good footballers. So sometimes you have to you know say, well, on the day. They were better than us, and to be fair, at that moment in time, I don't think we actually, you know, showed playing against them, you know, how good we thought we were, which makes them, in contradiction in terms, makes them a better team because they stopped us doing what we, 
enjoyed doing and, you know, defeated us. But, um, you know, we knew you was always in the pitch with uh, Burnham Park. It was a bit like Man United, like you slid off and the next thing you knew, you were going into the going into the stand because of the mm-hmm. slope on the pitch. Yeah. Um, the camber off of it. But, uh, yeah, they, you know, one, one of those, you have to take those on the chin and learn from them. And uh, I think it was a learning curve for a lot of people. And, um you know, I know for a fact that Neil and uh, Glenn became better players for having had, you know, that opportunity of playing against a, a very good Bolton team because there were a lot of games during the season when, you know, I think without being too you know, complacent, we thought, well, you know, we're going to win. Mm. How long has how long gone? Five minutes, we ain't scored yet. And that's the mentality you, you, you needed to have. Whereas before, the season before... We were saying, poor five minutes, we ain't conceded yet. You know, that's how how the mentality should be, is what we've been playing five minutes, we ain't scored. You know, whether it's the first five minutes or the last five minutes, you know, you should always put in your foot on trying to score. But obviously, if it's that tight a game, then you take the ball into the corner and just keep it. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. We then had our first ever league game uh, against Brighton. We drew nil nil at home uh, we also drew I think it was goalless also uh, with Southampton at home two two teams that we kind of knew were going to be up near us so it was a bit disappointing not to uh, get anything against them and then we went another really important game we then went to Sunderland uh, beginning of December a really good 2-1 win John Duncan we've already discussed got both goals. Uh, there was a lot of trouble that day. Uh, Sunderland had a bit of a hooligan element who were kind of older than the younger Spurs fans. These sort of northerners in their 40s and 50s. And a lot of young Spurs fans were forced onto the pitch because of trouble. A lot got out the ground as well. Uh, but it was a really important win. We then had another London derby uh, this time against Crystal Palace. It was 2 all. Uh, let's remind ourselves of the goals now. With the Kick for Tottenham. High towards Colin Lee. Won it well in the air. Three minutes gone. A great breakthrough for Tottenham. Well, Colin Lee, who began his career at Tottenham uh, scoring four goals in one game, has now become a maker of goals. He did it last week and he's done it again now. Tremendous lead by him. And there was Hobble catching it beautifully on the volley. Spurs 1, Crystal Palace 0. With three minutes gone. Glenn Hoddle the scorer.
we then went, um, this is a funny one. We then played Millwall away. Now, this was Boxing Day. Uh, Millwall with a big, uh, bad reputation. I'd mentioned before this Panorama documentary that the match was all ticket. I think it was like a midday game. There was a lot of kind of violence and atmosphere in the air. And saying that, we played them off the park and won really easily. Do you remember that game at all? Well, vaguely, yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, you know, there's a big difference between you being part of the uh, fan and being part of the, uh, you know, the audience mm. and playing. You know, yeah, we respected the people that we were playing against. And, obviously, if they thought they were a little bit, we were a little bit better than them, sometimes the physical aspect can, you know, overtake that. But, um you know, once again, you know, I think that Millwall were more than pleased to be playing the players. Not necessarily, once again, you know, the actual players that are physically on the pitch, but the name. Yeah. They were playing Tottenham Hotspur. Millwall, who would have dreamt Millwall would be playing Tottenham Hotspur? I know they've, exactly. you know, they've got to the yeah. cup final, etc. But, mm. you know, Millwall were a bit like the Orient. You know, they're one of those teams... Um, you know, you think, oh, if someone threw some money at them, they could do well. But they do as well as they did with what they had, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, and once again, unfortunately enough, I've never had to think about playing against Tottenham uh, because mm. I, I was playing for them. Um, but li just listening to other players, that is a great proportion in um, their mindset is that they're playing Tottenham Hotspur. They're not playing yeah. Steve Prairman, they're not playing Glenn Oddle, they're not playing John Pratt, they're not playing Neil McNabb, they're playing Tottenham Hotspur. And, you know, to be fair in certain attributes, I think that's, you know, that's not a bad way of looking at it, really. Yeah. Although Glenn might, Glenn might have been frightened a few of them. <laughs> mm, yeah, fair enough. I mean, again, talk about fixtures then. So that was again on Boxing Day. The very next day, no break at all, the very next day, and probably why we didn't get a, a, a great result, we, we drew at home with Mansfield Town 1-1. We then had another draw, 2 all at Sheffield United, and then another draw at Craven Cottage 1-0. Let's listen to our goal here. Now, very, very much involved. Evans is the fuller man, and Duncan's gone past him. Now, as he got people up in support, Taylor's right in there, and Taylor! Beautifully taken, and it was always on for Tottenham. But unquestionably, it was John Duncan who scores so many for Tottenham, who made this one for them at Fulham today. Going back to the Bolton defeat, after we lost to Bolton, we then went 19 games unbeaten. Uh, in fairness, there was a lot of draws in those 19 games, but with only two points a win, it kind of, those draws weren't as damaging then. And you then went through, you talked at the top of the show about the shackles coming off a couple of seasons uh, behind, really, with Terry Neal. You then went on a real golden spell of finding the net. Uh, you scored in the 4-0 win against Blackburn. Um, and then two great goals in a 3-3 draw with Notts County that many fans said uh, one of them was probably the best goal you ever scored for Spurs. Do you remember it? Um, well, I got, yeah, I've got to remember the two of them. Uh, yeah. the, the, that, that all came around about being a team effort, Mike, mm. is the fact that Steve Perriman was playing double centre-half, Jimmy Holmes was playing left-back. And... 
you know, nothing was happening for us. And someone got injured, and Stevie said to me, he said, JP, he said, do you fancy, you go left back, I'll come in the midfield, and Jimmy Holmes, which he had played numerous times for Coventry, comes in, you know, double centre-half. Yeah. Stevie quickly followed it by saying, not saying you're not doing anything bad, John, but, um, and I went to left back and I scored two goals. So, Mm. um, yeah, yeah, they were, I can remember both. It was quite a nice day that day as well, if I believe yeah. I'm quite right. The sun was shining, and in the end, uh, those grafting those sort of situations out. And uh, for me, obviously, it was good. But tactically, it showed what team we were because Stevie looked over to Keith Burtonshaw and pointed, bump, but yeah, pretty back there, Jimmy Holmes in there, me in there. And Keith went, yeah, yeah, let's have a go. Nothing's working for us. Let's have a go. Mm. Yeah. yeah, what were the goals like? Describe as uh, describe the goals if you can remember them, because uh, well, they were I... just they were just outside. I think both of them were just outside the box. Uh, I think right. one might have been a volley, mm-hmm. and the other one was um, just a cracker goal. I just saw the you know if I if I could see anywhere near that eighteen yard line, I was always going to have a crack. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, you if, don't... I don't, if I don't know where it's going, the goalkeeper ain't got no chances. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you then got another one and a 2-2 draw with Blackpool, then another really important goal in a very tight 2-1 win at home uh, to Charlton. Um, and then another another goal, I mean, this is, you're banging them in at this stage, uh, then another win, 3-2 win at Bristol Rovers. Fans will remember there was a dog track around the Eastfield grounds. Um, this sadly, the goals for that game, apart from one, are no longer kind of out there on on, on YouTube. The the one goal from that three two win is it was the last goal of the game, and uh, you mentioned Barry Danes at the top of the show. This is one of his howlers uh, when he fell and bicycle kicked the ball into his own net. Uh, let's listen, listen to that now. What uh, those of you listening uh, won't have seen, but you can certainly see uh, when you watch the clip, is you absolutely losing it with Barry. You talk about passion and belief and will to win. And we were still, we threw it up, it wasn't like we'd lost the game. You absolutely lose it with him. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I do. I was staying, I was, I was on the near post and the ball came yeah. in and it got knocked about and I was just about to volley it. Right. Away and then Barry went into his uh, gymnastic uh, entourage and uh, and the ball ended up in the back of the net, like you know. So hence, uh, yes, yeah. It, it, I should I should have been a bit careful there because he was a big boy, Dainsey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, 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 there was no, he didn't have a didn't have a, a bad body in his bone in his body. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, then. Um... So that, that, that Bristol Rovers uh, win was uh, number two in a three-game winning streak. We had a solid 3-1 win at home to Stoke. Colin Lee got another two. And then, again, probably the most bizarre, exciting games of the season. We travelled to the mining town of Mansfield, Field Mills, their ground, uh, to face Mansfield Town, obviously for the first time ever in the Football League. Um Awful, awful pitch, muddy pitch, terrible weather, large rickety scoreboard, uh, crazy 
crazy 3-3 draw and uh, captured by the staccato tones of Hugh Johns. Let's listen to it now. Well, Mansfield beginning to exert some pressure on this. Tottenham defence. They've had goals scored against them, Tottenham, in all the last 13 matches. Looks useful. Sort of chest against Glenn Hoddle. Hodgson with the corner. Foster and Sirik off the line. Was it in? The goal is given by the uh, linesman quite clearly. Holmes with it. It's a good one too. That was handball on the blind side. That was handball on the line. Wood, surely. Gotta be. Gotta be. But the first handball has not been seen. Yes, he has. The penalty is given. This is the very spot, this is the very goal in which Dennis Martin missed his penalty shot for Mansfield in the first half. It's Huddle against Arnold for 2-2. And that's the score. It's Perryman. Oh, bad ball. Straight to Hudson. Early on for Sirik. Chance here. Danes has come a long way. And he's missed kick. And it's a hat-trick for Sirik. Yes, sir! And Marsville back in front at 3-2. And Sirik, Dave Sirik, has picked himself up the match ball today with a hat-trick. Taylor on a hobble. Trying to chip it straight in. Extraordinary game. I mean, obviously, we'd mentioned the Barry Danes error against Bristol Rovers. There was another one, obviously, although Barry, yeah. in fairness, uh, saved a penalty. Uh, he ran out in one of the goals and air shot the ball completely, went under his legs, and I think was tapped in. I think, I think the Mansfield player scored a hat-trick that game. What is your memory? Do you remember that game at all? It, it, it wasn't Barry's finest hour, that one. No, it wasn't. No, it <laughs> um, wasn't. Well, it, I, think, I remember it because my daughter was born... Uh, on that day in Bath, you, you, down you, in London, you, you were rushing back for the game, weren't you? Yeah, and I, so I, I hadn't had a shave. I, you know, I, I was in my suit. I, I got in the car. I drove to the uh, chairman's house up in Adley Wood, and um, they, then they drove us up. And uh, I've gone into the team meeting, 
and Keith it with his dulcet tone said, like, John Pratt, you don't have to play if you don't want to. I said, I've just driven all that with one or two well-chosen adjectives. I said, of course I'm going to play. And I remember in the dying minutes, you know, we, I think we were about, I suppose, 25, 25, yeah, probably a little bit more than 25 yards out. And although I didn't take the free kicks, you know, I'd sort of look up and say to Glenn, well, the one behind the wall's on or the into so-and-so's on. And I was kneeling there. I was absolutely knackered. I'd been up all night at the hospital. And, um, yeah. and, of course, as you say, it was peeing down with rain as well. And the odd went, he said, JP, he said, I fancy putting it in the goalkeeper's side. Mm. And with one or two adjectives, again, I went, Glenn, <laughs> do what you sons. And I, I looked up, and all I could see was the goalkeeper going, Oh, no, because he took one step the wrong yeah. way. And Glenn had put it right up in the corner. And, of course, that point away, you know, it's go, coming to that point of the season was crucial. You know, and... Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was a, it was an experience. It did rain that day as well. Yeah. Oh, dear. But, um, you know, we got the point and, uh, and it proved to be a, a fantastic point in the end. It did. And I think also... Uh, Glenn, I, I can't remember. I mean, obviously, after this season, there's many wonderful free kicks he scored. I can't remember any free kicks he scored with before that. It was such a important goal. Do you think um, you mentioned before against Bolton? Do you, how do you think playing in this division improved Glenn as a player? Because he was up against some journeyman players, you know, tough tackles. Do you think it really improved him as a player? Um, well, the one thing that Glenn's rightly so, always had, is a belief in his own ability. You know, and belief that, you know, it, it don't matter. Trying to get the ball off of him, even in five sides, was a nightmare. You know, because you're, in the end, you, you, you're thinking about resorting to, you know, <laughs> criminal, criminal activity to get the ball off of him. Um, that's, I'm sure, that's how the, the posing players became, Mike, because they got frustrated because they couldn't get near the ball. Um, and with the fantastic touch in that, and they'd always arrive too late for the ball, yeah. you because know, the ball would go to him, and if he had to pass it first time, he could. You know, there was no sort of he didn't have to have a touch; he could do whatever he likes. And I think that would frustrate people. And you know, with the best will in the world, all those sort of people uh, with lesser ability than him, they they try to hack him down, etc. And uh, and I think that was that's where they fell into the trap and uh, you know, he reaped the benefits of it because he exploited that. Yeah, absolutely. We then I mean then we drew, I mean we've dropped some points at some key games. We then somehow drew three three with Millwall, uh, who were quite a poor side uh I don't know what happened there. We then lost 2-1 at Burnley at Turf Moor. And the division now is getting so, so tight. Really, really tight amongst sort of four teams. Actually, even Sunderland at this stage looked like they could do it. We then played, again, people talk about key games uh, in Tottenham's history. We played a massive game against Bolton, our rivals. It was the... uh, not the highest attendance, easily Division Two, over fifty thousand fans at White Hart Lane to see us beat Bolton one nil with a brilliant Don McAllister diving header. Do you remember that game? To be fair, I don't. Okay. <laughs> fair a, I mean, I, fun, fun enough, I, I had the good fortune to play in all those games in every no, game. So, uh, you know, no, yeah, I, I was probably 
caught up in the emotion of of the game and uh, to be fair what was to come later on in the season mm, yeah fair enough no, but it was just uh, uh, a lot a lot of people remember that one we then yeah. went to Brighton uh, again uh, a bit like the Blackpool game away Spurs took over Brighton for the entire weekend an estimated 10,000 Spurs fans travelled that week weekend. Uh, again, it was the year when there was a bit of trouble. There was 51 arrests, 85 casualties, 20 in hospital. And this was a game that was actually abandoned for 14 minutes. And the players were t- taken off. We were 3-1 down at the time. And, I, and the rumours to this day were that certain Spurs fans were trying to get the game stopped and therefore replayed. It was such an important game uh, to get something at Brighton. Do you remember that game being abandoned and the ref taking you all off for a bit? But uh, yes, slightly. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the main thing. Alan Murray was Brighton's manager yes. at that time, and so um, and they did. You know, there was the four of us. It was Brighton, Southampton, Bolton, and us. That they, yeah. they think they would, we were the four yes. uh, teams in with a shout of uh, of going up, and obviously. You know, going down there, I think, with the Mullers thing, you know, who's one of my dearest friends, Mull, uh, you know, he'd probably wind them up and he's Tottenham to come down here, like, you know, mm. us poor Brighton, you know, <laughs> yeah. Brighton team from the on the, on the south coast. But, um, yeah, and, and th- once again, there was, there was a lot of good players in their side, you know, as there was in Bolton, as there was in Southampton. Um, you know, you you had to be on your metal because you knew that all those people weren't going to actually um, you know make too many mistakes in in the running because they had quite a lot of experienced players. Yeah, we then had um, uh, it was our penultimate home game of the season uh, against a team that was also quite near us. This was our members on the big match. Uh, Brian Moore commentating we took an early lead but lost 3-2 at home to Sunderland. and a young Bob Lee scored twice meanwhile Brighton won their last the next two games uh, and as did Southampton and it basically meant we went into our last two games that season needing a win and a draw from the final two games goal difference was very close um, we've heard from many players at this stage Keith Birkinshaw was quite worried that he, he thought the team had blown it. Was that right? Um, well, I don't know. What I did say was that, you know, obviously Neil and uh, Glenn, you know, they were having, you know, they were having fun for a lot of the season. Um, both very, you know, very, very good players. Um, and I'd said to Keith, because I always used to play on the left side mm. of the midfield, you know, Glenn in the middle and Neil on the right. So mm. I said, well, why don't you put me on the mid in the middle Neil on the left and Glenn on the right. And Keith's reply to that was, well, who's going to mark the right back, the left side of midfield player? I went, well, I guess we won't be doing that. Then we won't be changing it. (laughs) Because, you know, I think they did, whether they would, it was just a personal thing with me. I thought they they may at times have been over-elaborating and mm-hmm. Glenn would do a trick and then Neil would do a trick. Uh, and I was just jealous because I couldn't do any of them. But, um, you, know, they, you know, I did mention it to Steve and I mentioned it to Keith and that was his answer. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, it was, um, you yeah, I... That time in the season, everything's on edge, and I think sometimes a little bit of anxiety crept in. Um, and 
to be fair, I think we, we had scored more goals than any other team in that league that year. Um, and I think we didn't think it was ever going to stop. Mm. I mean, I mentioned obviously to Neil McNabb. For me, Neil McNabb was one of those underrated midfielders, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, creative player. Um, went on to have a very good uh, career, at, uh, obviously Man City and, and other clubs. Um, what was he like as a player? Do you think the arrival then of Ardiles and Villa sadly meant that he had to move on? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he was a younger player. He didn't have the experience. Uh, you know, and I think, I think in the structure that sort of Keith saw, you know, there, there was still going to be a place for me because Steve was going to move, you know, back into the back four, whether it be, at, you know, centre-half or, or right back. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, so the structure would be, even in midfield, you know, he saw me and Stevie doing, if you like, the donkey work with Glenn and Ozzy doing what they, they could do better than anybody else. Mm. You know, which is exploit other teams' weaknesses. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to be fair, Neil was a fantastic player, um, but the only problem he had was that in his actual position, and if you look into the two players, you know, Glenn could actually do, if you want a better word, shit, a miracle, yeah. you know, more, more times than he could. But, you know, yeah. he played very well at Man City and he was an exceptionally good player. Yeah. Uh, once again, as I referred back, if you're buying two Argentinian midfield players, you know, there's uh, someone's got to make space for them. And I was in Mallorca when they got signed and uh, Andy Gray and Keith Burchin, Andy Gray, the Andy Gray and Keith Burchin, yes. who played for Birmingham and Ipswich, yeah. they were on holiday in Mallorca, as I was with my wife and the kids, and uh, popped their head. They said, pretty, Tottenham have just signed two Argentinian midfield players. Oh, yeah. So I said to my wife, have they gone? She went, yeah. I ran upstairs, got on the phone to my mate. He went, I know what you're going to ask. Yeah, it's right. They have signed two Argentinian <laughs> midfield players. Yeah, and uh, I mean... It's the start of the season. Um, I actually didn't play in the first game um, yeah. that, you know, that particular season. And uh, But no, I mean, when you have the quality of that coming in, it's got to be hard. And Neil was still a young lad. Yes. You know, it wasn't as if he was an experienced lad. Uh, you know, he was still a young lad learning his trade. And, uh, and that, that sort of, you know, the hardship when he was an apprentice, you know, so he suffered, if you like, mm. the effects of going down, which was a you know, great depressive within <coughs> all of us. And then, obviously, having the euphoria of coming up. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know, like, to be fair, I've never never asked him, um, but I don't know how he mentally handled it. Mm. For me, it was a case of, like, you know, roll your sleeves up, pray. You know, you've seen Ralph Coates off, you've seen Mike Peters off, you've seen Roger Morgan off. You know, so mm. another one ain't going to make no difference. So, um, yeah. and it's up to up to you to make sure that you can do a job that the manager feels that someone else might not be able to do as good as you. Um, and Neil was a, a far more creative player than destructive player. Although he, you know, he, had, he, he loved to tackle. Neil, he didn't mind to tackle. Um, and he was a very good athlete. Uh, but technically, he was very good, the same as Glenn. And I think we were very fortunate 
at that moment in time that these two boys blossomed, um, you know, and uh, we reap the rewards of you know of their improvement. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. For me, Neil McDermott now kind of had that same style as maybe Mickey Hazard. Great on the ball, could pirouette around with the ball, bring players in. They were quite sort of similar in style. We then came to our last home game of the season, a midweek game. It was now a must-win game for us to have any chance of going up uh, against Hull City, who we'd already lost to, who now have already been relegated. And it was one of those games where two, at least two cleared off the line. And then 81 minutes, corner came in. The keeper was definitely fouled by, I think it was John Duncan. The keeper sort of half spilled it. And Stevie P poked it in virtually from the goalie's hands. Uh, to this day, Hull City said the game, the goal should have been disallowed. But we got that uh, goal and win and the place erupted. Do you remember that game? Well, to be fair, yeah, we was. I mean, yeah, it was... You know, anxiety was setting in because yes. we did dominate the game, um, and um, they they wasn't wrong. The, the the goal shouldn't have stood, not because it was John Duncan felt the goalkeeper, it was because Stevie Perriman punched it in. But, um, <laughs> that, 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 that's allegedly, of course. <laughs> My memory was he did kick it, but the goal literally had it in both hands, and I remember, well, the, I just remember him kicking it out of his hands. But the the rest, funny, I, the, I think he would have been gone. Go on, go on. No, go on. Well, I said, I, I'm about to say, I think the ref would have been lynched if he didn't give it, though. Such was the fervour in the crowd. I yeah, just think yeah, right, you're right. Like... It was, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong there. <laughs> I mean, the strange, the strange thing about it was prior to the, prior to the game, uh, you know, Keith Burtonshaw said to Keith, said to me and Steve, he said, uh, Steve Perlman, John Pratt, he said, um, I've heard a rumour that Brighton have offered Hull, you know, some some money to really have a go and go at us and one thing or another. He said, what do you think I should do? So Stevie P went, offer him more. <laughs> <laughs> That's only allegedly, of course. Obviously, I'm sure it never happened, but <laughs> it might let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, but he yeah. did say, well, cool. <laughs> what are you going to do? But, and then, obviously, we got the um, Stevie's diving header, um, which, um, yeah, put us in good stead for the final game of the season, yeah. But that was the thing. I mean, Hull had already down, but they did play very, very well. And uh, that controversial goal got us through. We then obviously went uh, to the last game of the season against Southampton. Uh, Brighton were at home last game of the season. And it worked out that we went to Southampton needing a point to go up. And unless we beat Southampton by six then uh, a draw was good enough for Southampton as well. It was a very, very tense game. Spurs, again, travelled in their thousands, were penned into a newly wired stand, which was ripped down. There's pictures you can see. Uh, things were being spanners, bean tins, tossed at Spurs fans. What was your memory? Because I remember they hit the post. Tony Funnel hit the post. It was a very, very tense afternoon, wasn't it? But to be fair, mine... The, my uh, recollections of the game was before the before the actual kickoff. Keith Burnshaw said to me, he "said I don't want you going over the halfway line." Wow, that negative. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I went, "Okay, so we're warming up, and in this day and age, we'd probably have the FA on on our backs, but they they might be able to do me, but they couldn't do Alan Ball. <coughs> so Ball is gone, pray in that squeaky voice. Yeah, I went, "Yeah, what can, what can I what can I do, you, Al?" 
He said, there's a draw suit, yeah. I went, yeah, yeah, suits is fine. <laughs> he, he obviously didn't know that I'd been told not to go over the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in the first five minutes, Trevor Hibbard, the, the centre, young lad, centre forward, uh, making his debut, he hit the bar, he hit the post, he missed another one, and I said to Bowley, I said, Ow, I said, does he know about the draw? <laughs> Jokingly. So after the game, we're in the players' lounge having a drink, and obviously we're suitably um, mm. happy that we've got promotion. And um, I said to him, well, you were already promoted. And this is where you say, you know, your probably mm. information's better than mine. But once again, why let the truth get in the way of a, a nice story? Uh, Baldy said to him, I said, why did you want to draw? He said, well, if, you'd, if we'd scored one against you, you were capable of getting three or four. And that might, might lead into when you said we needed, would that have been by yeah, six goals? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I thought them and Bolton were already promoted, mm. and it was between us and Brighton. Yeah. But if, if we'd beaten Southampton 3-1 or 4-1, which he said you were quite capable of doing, you know, had they scored, he said they wouldn't have gone up and Brighton would have gone up. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. We actually ended up, it ended up, we, we picked Brighton on goal difference, ironically, by nine goals. The nine goals we maybe scored against Bristol Rovers, bizarrely. Uh, we ended up, played 42, 120, drew 16, lost six. We lost the least games in the whole of the league that season, but less wins to the teams that went up with us. Uh, and more draws. Bolton had 58 points, uh, goal difference of plus 30. Southampton, 57 points, goal difference of 31. Spurs, 56 points, goal difference of 34. Brighton, 56 points, goal difference of 25. We scored 83 league goals uh, that season. The best in the league. Yeah, 83. Southampton, second with 70. Bizarrely, you mentioned about having a few drinks. I read that... Keith Birkenshaw had organised a game, a friendly against Truro City, to uh, commemorate <laughs> their stand. So you players who are looking for a big, big weekend. Well, of course, I mean... We got, we got, this is, I've just gone up. You've got some meanless friendly to play. I mean, me, you know, myself coming from the East End, a lot of my mates you know, coming from Oxton, a lot, a lot of my mates, a great proportion of them, uh, I don't think there was one Tottenham support up there, either Arsenal or so or Wolves, because in when we were kids, Wolves won the, in the 50s, they won the league three times, didn't they? Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to get back and phone every one of them up and say, like, yeah, should we have a party? Because yeah. you know, we're back. Uh, and Keith went, no, we're going to go to Truro. We're opening the lights. <laughs> At Truro, and we stayed down in Truro for four days. Oh. Well, I mean, to be fair, we had a, a, a supporter called Ricky Prosser. Bless him, he's oh. dead now. Uh, he was a fruit and veg man. And all his lorries, mm. he had every one of them. There was a name of a player on every lorry that he had. Right. Uh, Tottenham player. And he came down and he had a roller and he had, he had scouts going all over the West Country buying up bottles of champagne. And, of course, you've got all that time of the year, you know, East, you know, late sort of, uh, um, in May time, beginning of, beginning of May, end of August, mm. uh, uh, April, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. You know, um, all the old fogies were down there. Yeah. <coughs> so there we are, we've got this, it was like about probably 20, 15, 20 yards long, this table, full of champagne. Mm. 
that Ricky had, Ricky had gone and got. And uh, and then, like, you know, in the end, you got uh, sort of 17, 18-year-old boys dancing with their nans. <laughs> 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 and then we went, we, I think we went to the Talk of the South or something. Ricky had arranged him to go to the Talk of the South. And uh, I think what had happened was that Keith had promised someone yes. that we, you know, from Truro, obviously, that we would have gone down there, you know, win, lose or draw to do, you know, open their lights for them. And if the one thing is, true, Keith is true to his word and straight as a dyer. And if he'd said it, you know, it wouldn't have mattered whether... You know, we were going to come back to a big celebration at Tottenham or not. But, um, yeah, we could have done that, couldn't we? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I we, know. Absolutely, you know, that's obviously why you couldn't. I mean, to be fair, that's singly, I suppose, that's one of the most emotional times I had uh, was the fact that we'd got back that one season. Mm. You know, having been part of the relegation team, uh, and I said, having that, you know, black mark on my copybook um it meant a tremendous amount for me personally um you know to to get promotion and you know also and back being in the uh in the first division yeah i mean it was i mean the other thing as well forget is that yourself peter taylor steve perman barry davis and hoddle neil played every game that season i think jimmy holmes and terry naylor literally missed a few with effectively had 16 players that season because Ralph Coates only started one game. Mickey Stead started, only started two games. It was an incredible achievement. And and one could argue if there was no promotion that season, there might be no Ozzy Ardiles, no Ricky Villa, no FA Cup win. Arguably, would Glenn Hoddle had another season in Division 2? Um, no, all these seasons so. no, would never know. Yeah. Well, well I mean, yeah, see, it was the evolution of things, weren't it? And I think it was... You know, it's once again, and, uh, you know, it's about, like, Tottenham Hotspur. It's not about individuals. It's about us as a club. Um, and I, I know we haven't won the league since 1960. Uh, but, um, you know, we are still, in my eyes, and I know lots and lots of people, you know, what you know you, you're a big club when people want to knock you all the time. And, you know, everyone wants to try and knock Tottenham. And we are a big club, and uh, we were back with the big boys, and uh, it was gratifying for us that all the hard work that one chief had done uh, the season before, and having the insight to do that, um, you know, helped us achieve what we did. And uh, I'll be forever grateful for being part of that, uh, being... No, not grateful for being one that took us down, but and I'm sure I played my part in that one, uh, particularly in the five nil against Man City. <coughs> Excuse me, where I would have liked to have been bad. <laughs> you know, mm, it was no, a, that was atrocious. That's... But um, no, that's yeah, that's how it is, and everything turned out fantastically well for us. And uh, you know, and the two boys who come in were fantastic players and great lads as well and they're still our dearest friends so uh, a lot of good came out of it yeah yeah I mean we had an average attendance that season of uh, nearly 33,500 uh, average attendance, the best supported club in, in Division 2, and only bettered by six teams in the first division. Just shows you how amazing the support was. The PFA Division Team of the Year, Barry Danes was in it, Naylor Hoddle, Duncan Taylor, Stevie P won the Spurs Supporters Player of the Year. And also, um, in May, uh, as the season finished, you had your test 
testimonial against Arsenal as well to organise. Well, that's right. I mean, we um, we came back from uh, that was well. It, I say it was strange. It was a, a surreal sort of thing. It was that we'd been to uh, somewhere in the uh, in Saudi Arabia, right. Jeddah or somewhere like that. You know, playing a pan note game for the club, mm. and uh, Chrissy Jones. He actually destroyed his career because you know he lost like two or three stone. He got a bug. Uh, oh, I got a bug, and uh, you know, and I, the doc said to me, "John, you won't be out of play." I said, "Doc," I said, "They they hate me anyway." <laughs> I said, no, "I've got a play in it." Um, and uh, so consequently, I played. But the strange thing about it was there was a fella. I was outside by the gates, the Bill Nicholson gates, and um, a fella came up to me and he gave me gave me a check right. for a, for five pound, which right. they were two pound twenty five was the uh, no two pound fifty was the dearest seat in the West End. Right. And he said um, he said. I'm not going to come to the game, he said, but uh, he said, because I think you're crap. He <laughs> said, but the manager, I went, oh, thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I've still got the cheque somewhere. I should have had it man here, but I've got it somewhere. I didn't cash it, but I thought, I'll tell you what, that shows a lot of style. They had to come up and, have, you know, you know a say to someone, you know, well, I think you're, but you, the other people that are the managers, appreciated what you did for the team and so here you go mate and I went oh thanks very much wow. amazing <laughs> that, would, that would have bought a round of drinks back in them days <laughs> yeah did any of the old players come back for your testimonial did, anyone, did you have any, any guests playing that game well um, I had uh, Cliffy Jones and Jimmy Greaves oh wow amazing and uh, and Greaves he had been in a clinic the week before I phoned up Bobby Moore because I was Jim I phoned Jim and he said, yeah, I'll play. Um, and I didn't hear no more. And then uh, mm. he was getting near the knuckle. So I phoned up Bobby Moore and I said, Bob, he was great friends with Jimmy. I said, do you know where Jimmy is? Mm. He said, well, John, he said, he's in the clinic drying out for the week to play in your testimonial. Wow. And I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. One of the, well, if not the greatest, you know, one of the greatest goal scorers has ever been. Has you know done that for me? Then yeah, mm. yeah, fantastic. But uh, no, it was a, it was a great night, and uh, John Motson done the master of ceremonies, and uh, Frank McClintock and George Graham, you know, they played for the Arsenal, and uh, yeah, it was it was good. It was a, it was a fun evening, and uh, it was great for the family, and uh, mm. yeah, yeah, all very very good. What a lovely time! What a lovely time it worked out to have that, knowing that literally a couple of months later. You're back in the first division uh, with Tottenham. Uh, John, some great memories there for what still is such an iconic season in the history of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, on behalf of all Tottenham fans, again, thank you so much. A pleasure, Mike. Anytime. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.